Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I thought I had time to uh, clean my glasses during the scripture reading. I was wrong. It's far too short. Uh, My name is Brant. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. It's really my joy to, to welcome you here into our time of Uh, study in the Word of God this morning from this last concluding verse in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, But as we begin, um, there is nothing that we need more than God to help us to understand his Word, uh, to help me to communicate with some measure of clarity, uh, and to uh, for all of us to, to just see wonderful things in the Word of God. So would you please pray with me as we come to his Word? And gracious God, we, we ask for your help. And Lord, we, we come in the confidence uh, that you are our loving and our good Father. Uh, that you desire us to, to grow in what true flourishing life is. You desire us to know um, a life without meaningless toil, but with productive labors that, that matter and, and mean something in this world. Uh, you want us to grow in trusting the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's at work within us uh, for all who, who've trusted in Jesus. Um, so God, we, we come to you and we ask, would you please work now? And would you cause this moment and this labor not to be in vain, but to be productive and useful for the building of your kingdom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, last couple of weeks, maybe two weeks ago now, I was talking to a friend of mine at the coffee shop that's beneath um, my house in my building, and we were talking about the tech company that he worked for. And he was sharing the way that, that this tech company uh, is going through some structural changes, and they're really laboring at one thing right now, and that one thing is the elimination of toil. It was interesting. He used that language. You know, I'm trying to eliminate toil in the workplace. And that's really a fascinating thing. And I thought, you know, eliminating, eliminating toil is a good idea, I think, to some degree. That's a noble pursuit in the workplace. But I thought there's something worse than toil in this world. You know what that is? It's meaningless toil. It's toil that has no apparent result. And I think every one of us, to some degree in our lives, if we've worked for any uh, period of time in our lives, we know what meaningless toil is. We've experienced it. Whether that's been at home and trying to conquer that endless uh, mount, never rest of the laundry pile uh, that's just out of reach of ever feeling fully completed and fully finished. 
or whether it's um, laboring at our workplace and, and we're doing these different projects and these different tasks that have been assigned to us. And yet we spend weeks and weeks and sometimes those projects that we've worked on end up on a desk where they simply collect dust and nothing ever comes of it. Or just the general feeling of, of work and labor in this world that can sometimes feel so tiresome and overwhelming and seemingly be getting and going nowhere. And when we feel the weight of useless toil, we ask ourselves, what is the point of all my work? Why do I even bother? And we wonder, is there any way that I can eliminate meaningless toil from my life so that my work and my life are actually constructive and productive and lead to something and produce something that is meaningful that will last beyond my life? Well, if you've ever asked that, if you've ever wondered that, Paul has good news for us this morning. Because in our passage, Paul concludes his chapter on the resurrection of the dead with a short verse about meaningful work. And in this verse, Paul teaches the Corinthians that in Jesus Christ, our labor is a gift. A gift to be enjoyed that will never result in useless toil. All right, we see that. That's going to be this passage that we're looking at this morning. That's what it's going to be all about. Um, but for us to, to learn what it means to, to live in a way where we can work productively without meaningless toil, we have to hear three things that Paul teaches us in this passage. Those things are number one, that we must be steadfast in the gospel. Number two, that we must be abundant in Jesus' work. And number three, that we would be confident in the resurrection. <clears throat> so we're going to look at these now and, and see the way that God has meaningful work for us uh, to do. So look at our first point, be steadfast in the gospel. And chapter 15, verse 58 again. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And really what we see in this text is that the first step to living a life that, that eliminates meaningless toil is to be steadfast and immovable. That's the first thing Paul says there. Be steadfast and immovable. Be steadfast and immovable in what? Well, I gave it away in my, in my point. Be steadfast and immovable in the gospel. But, but how do we see that in the text? It's not clear just by looking at it that it's the gospel that he's talking about. Well, I think the answer is at the beginning of the chapter because we've, we've preached a lot of sermons on chapter 15 and we've been here for a long, long time. And that means that now that we're at verse 58, we forget what was in verses 1 and 2. But Paul began this chapter and ends this chapter with some parallel ideas and parallel statements. And in verses 1 and 2, he wrote this. He said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Do you see some of the similar ideas and language of being steadfast and immovable? There's a standing firm in something, a holding tight to something that the chapter starts with. And then here at the beginning of verse 58, be steadfast, be immovable. 
And in fact, actually, we can go back beyond just the beginning of chapter 15 to the whole of the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we can see that Paul's been urging the Corinthians throughout the letter to hold tight to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in this conclusion of the chapter, he writes again, be steadfast and immovable. So I think what's going on is that when we take the context in mind and we consider both this chapter and the letter it came from, that Paul means be steadfast and immovable in the truth of the gospel. Don't drift. Don't leave this teaching that I've brought to you about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's interesting, I think. I think it's interesting because Paul concludes this chapter with this verse about productive work, but he begins by telling them to hold tight to right doctrine. I don't think you should miss that. Note that. Paul's saying before the Corinthians can be fruitful in their labor, they must be steadfast in the gospel. Paul's saying that faithfulness always precedes fruitfulness. And if you've been with us for any length of time in this series, you've seen the Corinthians' lack of both faithfulness and fruitfulness throughout the letter. We've seen in the letter earlier that they didn't hold tight to the gospel good news about Jesus, the way that that Jesus is this God who became a human being and was crucified, who gave himself in selfless love and died for us on the cross. And Paul points out, you don't seem to believe that because it hasn't made any impact on your lives. Because you live selfish lives, not selfless lives that imitate the same crucified God who you serve. And we've seen throughout the letter that they didn't hold tight to the gospel good news that Jesus shed his blood on the cross to purify us from our sin, to belong for him, to become a new kind of entity in this world, the church, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But they don't seem to believe that or hold tight to that because Paul keeps calling them out for their sin. The way that they don't bother repenting. They want to hold fast to the the sin that they have in their lives. We've seen that they don't hold tight to the gospel good news about the resurrection of the dead either. And again, even in chapter 15, we've seen this as evident because they seem to be living like the bodies they've been given don't matter. And because they were unfaithful to the truths of the gospel... They were fruitless in the work of their lives. And their church, as we've seen, Paul has been saying, has been filled with selfishness and with division and sin. So right away, when Paul's calling them to productive labor, productive work, he begins by urging them, hold tight to the gospel. Be steadfast and immovable, because only then will your lives truly be productive. You got to start there. And this week I was thinking about this and I was thinking about why Paul was communicating it to them, why he was teaching them these things. And I thought about a time when I was in my late teens. And what happened when I was in my late teens is I was on a road trip with some friends and we went to my grandfather's ranch up in Kamloops. So it's north of Kamloops up in the Bonaparte Plateau. You had to go a long ways on gravel roads to get to it. And we were all coming home. And as we were leaving the ranch, we got stuck at a train crossing on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere. And so I did what any 18-year-old unsupervised youth would do when there's a train right in front of them. I began to sprint as fast as I could 
next to the train thinking how hard I'd have to jump to hold on to the, uh, the, the ladder on one of the train cars and climb up on top of it. And I tried a couple of times and then I, I jumped on it and I, and I was on the train. And um, it was pretty awesome, not going to lie. It was a cool experience when I was 18 years old. Uh, but it was neat. It was interesting because what happened is that in a matter of, of minutes, I was now on top of this train and without any effort at all, I was going so much faster than my friends on the ground next to me. They're trying to sprint and catch up and all I had to do to go faster than was like take one step on the train and I'm just cruising past them. The only problem that I had really was that, was that seemingly with no effort, suddenly I'm a long ways down the track and I had to get off again and, and I'm kilometers down and I had to walk back and go to the car as the train passed. But the point as I was thinking about this story was that I think that, that what Paul's saying to the Corinthians is a little bit like me on the train. Paul's saying be steadfast and immovable in the gospel because Paul knows that there's one thing that is an unstoppable force that's moving towards a transformation of the world. It's the gospel message. There's one thing that God is using and that he's working in the world to reshape it for good and it's the work that he's doing in the gospel. And when we stand firm on this gospel, that means that even just by standing firm on it, we're moving faster than the world all around us. Simply by holding on to it, just being firm on the true teaching about what God has done to save sinners through Jesus Christ makes us more productive than the world all around. I think we need to know that today. Because in our world, and even in Vancouver, all too often, when we want to serve somewhere, we're told that you can serve and you can do good, that's fine, but you need to leave the gospel at the door. You can do some good, but you can't talk about Jesus. But Christ City, it's the gospel alone that guarantees our labors in this world won't be meaningless toil. It's in holding fast to the gospel that our labor is fruitful. So be steadfast in the gospel, Christ City. And look, I, I get it. I, I, I'm just like you. There's times in your life and in, and in my life when we're tempted to let go of the gospel, right? And there's times when you want your neighbor to become a Christian, as I want my neighbor to know the hope that's in Jesus. And so what you're tempted to do is just to, to tone down the gospel a little bit. You know, just sand off the, the sharp, rough edges of the gospel that are a bit offensive. And then they'll be more ready to accept it. Right? Or maybe it's with your kids or, or, or family members or, or friends. And we think, we want this world to be changed, but maybe the problem is the Christianness of our message. And if we just make it a little bit more palatable, then that's the thing that, that God will use to produce good work. People can accept it then. But Christ City, it's precisely the hard edges of this gospel that bring it life, that bring life to those who so desperately need it. Because when we come to see ourselves for who we are in our own sinfulness, that's the place that we can understand and repent and accept the goodness of God and his love for us. See, we are worse than we realize, not better. 
But Jesus is more loving and generous than we dare to dream. And the life he has for us is true flourishing life, right? His commands for us are good. And so when we tone down even not just the the truth of the gospel and God's love and salvation for sinners, but also what Jesus teaches us and calls us to and commands us to, it causes us to not be salt and light in this world. It causes us to tone down the difference of what God wants us to be as a new humanity, following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it causes us to to weaken our witness, to not be the thing that God wants us to be as salt and light, to bring life to the city. So Paul says, be steadfast, be immovable in the gospel. Only then can we hope that our work will be productive and constructive in this world. But when we are steadfast in the gospel, then we can, and I think we will, abound in Jesus' work. Look at our second point in verse 58. Be abundant in Jesus' work. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Faithfulness comes before fruitfulness, but it's not just a little bit of fruitfulness. It's a lot of fruitfulness. Paul says specifically that we are to abound in the work of the Lord. So notice that word, abound. It's a big word. It's a rich word. And as you see that word, I want you to know something about the gospel. The gospel never uses language of smallness, of stinginess, but of abundance. And that's because the gospel itself is the abundance of God's blessing poured out onto the undeserving. The gospel uses language of abundance because God in his character is a God of abundance and of richness and of generosity that he pours out onto his people as a gift. Paul actually uses the same Greek word for abundance in 1558. Here, he uses it in Ephesians 1 verse 8 as well. And in Ephesians 1 verse 8, he uses it to describe the way that God lavishes us with his blessings by saving us through Jesus. And yes, I did just use another cross-reference from Ephesians. I get teased a lot for this by some of the pastoral staff for going to Ephesians all the time, but it's just so good. It's just so good. I got to go back there. But Paul says here in Ephesians 1 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Guess which word is the word for abundance? It's the word lavish. It's this generosity of of abundance and pouring out, lavishing us with his own goodness. We don't serve a stingy God, Christ City. We serve a God who is abundant in his love and his goodness, a God who I think it is good and right for us to stop and just reflect and count the blessings that he's given to us. Can we do that for just a second? What are some of the blessings that he's given us? Well, well he's forgiven our sins. That's amazing. Praise God. He makes us righteous, both in declaring over us in our messiness this person is no longer a sinner, but a righteous one. And also then by the power of his Holy Spirit, changing us so that we grow to actually produce goodness and righteousness in our lives. Through his love, he transforms us to become no longer ugly in our sin, but beautiful as his beloved children. 
Speaking of beloved children, what else does he do? He adopts us, right? We were foreigners and aliens, enemies of God, and now we're his adopted, beloved children, part of his family. We are, the Bible teaches, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Your inheritance, if you trust in Jesus to save you, is the same inheritance that the Father has promised to Jesus. That's insane. That's just crazy. How do we even wrap our minds around all that that would mean? This God, he heals our shame. He fills us with Jesus himself because he fills us with the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of Jesus. So the power that's at work in the Christian is the life of Jesus renewing us and making us different and making us new. This is an incredibly generous, abundant, and good God. He lavishes us with his blessing. And the reason I bring all of that up is because our work in serving God abundantly, like it says in verse 58, it's merely a response to God's abundant generosity. It's only as we are steadfast and immovable, holding on to all God's generosity and love and abundance for us, that we will then always abound in the work of the Lord. See, God's work of generosity becomes far before our work in response to his love for us. And what is this thing that Paul's called us to? To abound in the work of the Lord in response to to God's rich blessings and love for us. Well, the Lord, the work of the Lord here, the Lord is Jesus, our Lord. To abound in the work of the Lord is to abound in Jesus' work. So the question to ask then is, what is Jesus' work? What's he doing in this world? Well, Jesus is at work through the gospel, reshaping this world through the power of the gospel. And it's a work that he's doing in a particular place. He's doing it here. He's doing it by building a church, by causing his church to grow and increase in this world world to show forth the goodness and the blessing of God. But this work that Jesus is doing, it's not just work that pertains to singing worship songs and praying prayers on a Sunday morning. It's an all-encompassing work. And it includes every act of every follower of Jesus in every area of our lives that's done to the glory of God. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, so whether you eat or drink Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I was talking about this with my wife Heather this week about what the, the work of the Lord is. And we were, we were talking about the way that, well, it's certainly it's this wonderful thing that begins through the gospel as we're, we're saved and we come to know Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't just save us and leave us. Leave us. He saves us and then he disciples us. He saves us and then he teaches us and he changes our lives. He's not just given us a couple of key verses in the Bible. He gave us the whole Bible. And he wants us to be trained by that word to learn how to live flourishing lives that are truly good and wonderful as his followers. And that means that that he has a lot to say about all of our lives as we begin to to follow him and be shaped and, and built up in him. 
For those of us who employ others, it means that we have a lot to learn about how to treat our employees differently because we're followers of Jesus now. That's part of the word, that's part of the work of the Lord. That means that those of us who are employees, uh, we now, because we're followers of Jesus, have learned to, to treat our employers differently, to treat our co-workers differently, because we're disciples of Jesus, and that too is part of the work of the Lord. For those of us who have been given influence in any sphere of our lives over our families and our children's, over a business that we run or own, over our neighborhood, on a council somewhere, over this city, we're learning to be in those places faithfully as disciples of Jesus. And this too is part of the work of the Lord. So what is Jesus' work? It's his work of reshaping this world and making it new through the power of the gospel as he builds up his church and sends us out as his witnesses. The work of the Lord is the way that Jesus is at work reshaping the whole of this world, making it new through the power of his gospel as he builds up his church and sends us out as his witnesses into this world. It's a big work. It's a glorious work, and all of us are part of it. All of us are invited into it, to abound in it. Paul says to abound in the work of the Lord. Now, I I realize that the very idea of work elicits different responses from us in this church as a congregation. Probably fair to say that some of us are a little bit allergic to work. Right? You know, work is the thing that's bad in this world. So if we can just avoid work at all costs, that'll be good for me. Uh, others of us have the opposite problem. Others of us are, are workaholics. Right? And we think that basically work is the meaning of life. If I can just work my fingers to the bone, then I will uh, be doing a good job as a human being in this world. What's really interesting with this verse is that it shows us that Jesus is, is neither the taskmaster who is uh, driving us to, to kill ourselves with endless work, nor is he the God who finally vindicates our laziness and says, that's right, I'm the God of all comfort, hang out on the couch. He's neither of those things. No, he's a good savior who has invited us to, to be part of a good and a glorious work with him. He's like a loving parent who's inviting their child to take part in meaningful work together with them. I think a good image for this is just thinking about, well, for me, it was thinking about a time when I was young and and my dad um, would invite me into his work. I wanted nothing more than to be involved in the work that he was doing. And then there'd be moments when I would be allowed to participate in that work with him. And it wasn't a burden for me. It was a joy. Because I didn't want anything more than to be with my dad doing the work that he was doing. My dad loved having me around even though I got in the way and I slowed him down. He slowed his process and his, and his work up to involve me because that's what he wanted. See, I think our work with Jesus is a little bit like that. Where he invites us to be part of his work to join with him as a glorious joy, not as a burden. Not as an escape from any work, but a meaningful work that is guaranteed by the goodness of him working with us. You see, our work is productive because Jesus guarantees the outcome. And that guarantee of the outcome, it says, work for Jesus apart from any other work on this planet. 
When we are steadfast in the gospel, when we labor in Jesus' work with him, we can be confident that our labor is not in vain. Look at our last point. Be confident in the resurrection and read verse 58 again. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, every single thing done for Jesus, done to, to love and to serve and to glorify Jesus, it's meaningful and productive work that isn't in vain. When asking the question, how can I rid my life of meaningless toil, anything done for him, in any area seeking to be done faithfully as a servant of Jesus, that work will not be done in vain. Why is that? Paul says it's because of the resurrection. You see, verse 58 of uh, this passage begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you know it's therefore a reason, right? And here it's therefore the reason of drawing to a conclusion the whole of chapter 15. The whole of chapter 15 that is entirely about the resurrection is the reason that Paul says we can be confident that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can be confident that our labor is not in vain because the resurrection shows us that we can serve Jesus in confidence knowing that we will be raised from the dead to enjoy the fruit of our labor forever with him. Because the resurrection shows us that we can be confident Jesus is working right now, producing life in this world through his church by the power of his Holy Spirit. So whatever we do right now is full of the spirit of Jesus invigorating it and giving it life. And we know that because of the resurrection. Our work's not in vain because the resurrection shows us that Jesus won't stop his work until all his promises are fulfilled. And his words in Revelation 21.5 come true. Behold, I am making all things new. His resurrection, as we've seen, is just the first fruits. It's only the beginning. Because that first domino has fallen, all the other dominoes of Jesus' work of renewal and making all things new will be certain to come to their completion. So Christ City, when you labor with Jesus in his work, Paul is saying, That work is underwritten and empowered by the life of the resurrected Savior. He's saying that it's the resurrected Jesus who promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Your work is guaranteed by the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not meaningless toil. To love him, to serve him in every area of your life is guaranteed a good outcome. There's nothing else that that can be compared to that. What other work is like that? As time goes by and even the work that feels productive in the moment, what guarantee is there that it will last 40 years from now or 60 years from now or 100 years from now? But every little bit of work done for Jesus today Last for eternity. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible in particular, I think, when we realize how hard and how difficult and discouraging our work for Jesus can be at times. 
Because there's moments in our work for him that just feel so discouraging. And those are the moments that we need this promise. The moments when we've been living as parents, trying to parent our kids and disciple them and, and grow them in Jesus, and, and there just doesn't seem to be any fruit at all. The moments when we're laboring and we're giving and we're sacrificing our time and our energy to, to see the church grow and the, the people saved around us in our own neighborhood, and it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. The moments when we labor in our workplaces and try to live in ways that honor Jesus and exert the little influence we have to shape our culture for good, but it just doesn't seem to go very far. Those moments when our efforts for good that, that did happen are suddenly overturned by a stronger or seemingly stronger evil that opposes it. See, in all of these situations, we need the promise of verse 58. We need to know that even when we don't see it, even when we're tired and it's hard, even when we're waiting to see the result, Jesus is at work through us, guaranteeing our labor. And it is not in vain. None of our work in Jesus is in vain. He's at work through us for the power of his spirit for good to build his church. Now, I think we could, we could read that and we could go somewhere kind of weird with it. So we could read that and we could conclude, because we're human beings and we're a bit foolish, uh, that, that if we can be confident in our work in Jesus, because he'll do something with that work, then, then what we should do is basically stop sleeping and, and work all the time as hard as we can, harder, better, faster, hustle culture for Jesus. That's my verse 58, you know? But that would be wrong. Because look what Paul says in verse 58. He says, Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that this is key. There's a qualification here. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. What does that mean? It's an interesting qualification. Paul promises that when you labor in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I think what it means on the one hand is that we won't get more done for Jesus simply by working harder. I think it means that when we work for Jesus and, and that work is just all stress and high blood pressure and anxiety and frenetic energy, that actually we might not be working in the Lord. We might just be working. See, working in the Lord means that we need to learn to work from a place of relationship with God. To work in the Lord is to learn to work like Jesus worked on earth. Was there ever a more productive human being than Jesus, Christ City? Yes? No. No. No, there wasn't. And, and Jesus was sustained in his earthly work, not by just working harder and harder and harder and harder, but he was sustained in relationship with Father and Spirit, even as Jesus Christ. In Luke 5, 16, we read these words, But the news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds were gathering together to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. Look at verse 16. Yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. <laughs> so Jesus, who's working hard, more productively than anyone, 
has these frequent prayer retreats to go be with the Father and the Spirit by himself. That's significant. I think what Paul's calling us to here when he says that our work in the Lord is not in vain is that he wants us to learn to work like that. He wants us to learn to work in a way that's sustained through prayer and in relationship with God. Because it's only when our labor is in the Lord that it is not in vain. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, um, knew this really well. So he lived in the 16th century and uh, he had this famous quip. He said that um, he used to joke that he would pray two hours every morning of every day unless he was busy and then he would pray three. But the idea behind that was that he knew that, that his work needed to be sustained in relationship with God. That it would be vain and meaningless toil unless it was done from a place of rich relationship with Jesus. And that's so important for us. As we conclude, I just have a couple of things to, to say. Um, and first, it's this. Um, for those of you who are stressed out and anxious, and, and you just hear this verse as a burden, and, and you can't imagine doing anything for Jesus because your plates are so full. I think what you need to hear are Jesus' own words to you in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Because Jesus invites you into something good. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who toil meaninglessly. And when does he say, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What you need to know is that Jesus in this verse is not offering you endless spiritual retreats by the fireside. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, come to me and you'll have an endless vacation of doing nothing. That's not the rest that he offers. What he's offering you isn't a vacation from work, but a better tractor. He's inviting you to join him in his good work, yoked to him so that your labor is joyful and easy, and light. See, a yoke is a tool that's used in, in ancient farming to go from one ox power to two ox power. And Jesus invites you to, to be yoked to him so that he shares the burden with you. So that as you learn to walk in deep relationship with him, you're walking in step with Jesus and it's his broad shoulders and his strong limbs that carry the load of the work. You're working, but it's he who's working through you. When we labor in the Lord, our labor is not in vain because we labor from a place of non-anxious trust in relationship with Jesus who loves us. And it's Jesus' power and energy that carries us. All right, that's, that's one group of people. There's some of us who need to hear that, to learn to rest in our labor, trusting in Jesus, walking with Jesus. There's another group of people here. Some of us, are actually lazy. We're actually lazy in the Lord's work. It's true. It's a, it's a, it's a serious comment where we don't, we don't feel any desire or urgency to actually strive together with Jesus for what he's doing in this world for good. And I think this passage is a call for us. It's a call to, to take courage to see that God has something so much better for us than whatever it is 
that we're trying to fill our life up and be satisfied with apart from him. Doesn't have something worse for us, but better for us. And the better thing is to be part of what he's doing to build his church, to cause life to grow in a world of sin and death. So I want to invite you to join with Jesus in his work, to serve, to give generously, to live faithfully in every area of your life, to share the gospel with your friends and family and neighbors. And above all, to pray. See, Christ City, for all of us, we won't get anything done for the Lord unless we are doing the work in the Lord. And that means doing the work through prayer. And when we pray, we are praying to the God of the universe who hears our prayers and decides to act and chooses to act uh, in response to our prayers. Jesus told us in John 14, 12 to 14, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Christ City, there's so many things that God has for us as a church. As witnesses in this neighborhood, in our workplaces, sharing the gospel with friends and family and neighbor. And my question for you is simply this. Do we pray for these things to happen? Do you pray prayers that God would save your neighbors? Do you, prepare, do you pray prayers that, that he would work powerfully to, to grow us to imitate Jesus? Do you pray prayers for opportunities for this church to minister the gospel to those that are hurting and broken in the neighborhoods all around us? See, he's doing good work and he wants to work through our prayers as we abide in Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to grow. We want to be steadfast and immovable in your gospel. We want to abound always in the work that you are doing in your church. God, we want to be so confident in the power of the resurrections that we would know and believe on our discouraged days that our labor for you is not in vain. And Jesus, we pray, we ask, would you use us powerfully in this city? God, would you save even 10 people this year by the ministry of this church? Lord, to come to know you and love you and follow you with their whole hearts. Jesus, would you use us? Would you give us each opportunities today and this week to serve you in practical ways, to be part of building your church, to joyfully participate in the work that you are doing? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.